Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Our reading is from Luke chapter 23. This is a couple verses from the story of the crucifixion. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So have you ever given us an elevator pitch for Christianity? We are really bad at evangelism, people. None of you have given an elevator pitch for Christianity? Have you ever heard an elevator pitch for Christianity? You know what I mean? When, when you have to, in just like a minute, describe what is your faith and what it means to you. I'm guessing a lot of us, that, that idea kind of makes us feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. But maybe it's something we should at least be prepared to do, to talk a little bit about our faith. If someone asks, what is the kind of key message of what do we believe and why does it matter? So for me, I remember very distinctly the first time I heard one of these pitches for Christianity. It was in my dorm room in college. And so it was me and my roommate, who was a good friend of mine, and then another mutual friend of ours. And we were talking, and we came across the topic of religion and ethics, and something my roommate said made our friend stop and say, do you actually know what Christians believe? Like, have you ever actually heard what Christianity is about? And my roommate said, no, actually I haven't. Now for me, the first thing I felt was a little embarrassed because here I was, I was working in the church at that point. I was a part-time worship leader. He was uh, probably my best friend at the time and we were roommates and I had never really had a conversation with him about our faith. But I also felt really relieved because I had no idea what I would say. I didn't have the pitch ready either, right? I, I, so I was genuinely curious. Okay, what are you going to say? What, tell me, what do we believe? And you could tell that this was not the first time that uh, this friend of ours had given this pitch. Uh, this was part of, he was a more evangelical kind of tradition than ours. And so clearly he had practiced this before he had given it. And so he started into this pitch and he said, well, our faith tells us that we have a loving God and we have a fallen world. And so we have this loving God that made everything and then we have this fallen world because of sin and we are all sinful, both because of the bad things we do, but also because of this sinful condition of humanity. And because of that sin and because we have a just God, we all deserve to be punished, to die and go to hell. But because God also loves us, God sent someone to pay the price for our sins, Jesus. And if you believe that Jesus came and died for your sins, if you accept that, then when you die, you will go to heaven to be with God. And if you don't come to understand this by the time you die, then you are going to hell for all of eternity for a just punishment for your sins. And he finished with his spiel and my roommate said, okay, thank you. And I could tell it was a genuine thank you, like thank you for sharing your faith. That's not always an easy thing to do. But I could also clearly tell it was written on his face. He was also thinking, thank you for clarifying that that is not a story that I believe in. 
Thank you for clarifying that that doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't really sound like good news. And so that moment really got me thinking about this for the first time, because nothing that this evangelistic friend of mine had said was new to me. Nothing was strange. I was kind of nodding along. Okay, yes, yes, I've heard this. Yes, this all sounds good. But when he laid it out like that, so black and white, so small and simple, it made me question for the first time, is that really all there is to the story? Is that really the, the core essence of the good news to me? Or could the gospel be a little bit bigger than just that? We're, we've been going through in this series Paul Young's book, Lies We Believe About God. Paul Young also wrote The Shack and Eve, but he wrote this book, a bunch of short essays on these lies that we often assume to be true about God. And I think that this week is the most challenging of them. Because this week, Paul says, the lie is that the cross was God's idea. Now, I'm guessing a lot of you have heard at some point the song, In Christ Alone. You probably recognize it. In Christ alone, my hope is found, right? It's one of those that was written in the early 2000s, but it kind of has the feel of a much older hymn, and so it's this kind of modern hymn. But there was some controversy about this song when the Presbyterian Church decided to publish their most recent hymnal. See, they were going to include this hymn in their hymnal, but they wanted to include an alternative version of the text. Now, they didn't think this was a big deal because another hymnal had already published this. A Baptist hymnal a few years ago had changed the words to one of the verses, so they thought it was fine. But it turns out that that hymnal did not do their due diligence, and they didn't check with the songwriters. And when the songwriters were asked, they said, no, that is not okay. You cannot publish our song if you change this line. And on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So the Presbyterian committee, they decided not to include it because that didn't fit with their theology. They wanted to say what this other Baptist hymnal had changed it to. And on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. But the writer said, no, you're missing the essential point to the cross. The cross was all about Jesus needing to die to satisfy God's wrath. You see, that is what I think the problem is that Paul is addressing in this chapter. The problem with thinking the cross was God's idea is really thinking that the cross is an instrument of God's wrath. That it's wrath. In the book, Paul points out something that Christians often ignore because we glorify the cross, as we should. We have turned this symbol into a symbol of hope. And so you, you see crosses, and they're on jewelry and tattoos, and they're all around churches, and they're things of beauty. But Paul says we often forget that an actual cross had nothing good about it. There was nothing beautiful about an actual crucifixion. I mean, a crucifixion was a horrible way not just to execute someone, but to torture them and to put this victim on display so that everyone could see how long they would sit in agony before they eventually died. And the way that someone would die on a cross is by suffocation. You would hang on that, and because of the way the body was held, and when you had no longer any strength to hold yourself up, you would no longer be able to breathe, and so you would suffocate to death. 
That's the reason for sometimes breaking someone's legs on a cross. It would speed up the process. And they would do that so the soldiers didn't have to stand around all day and waiting for this poor person to die. It was absolutely horrible. And the Romans, they didn't just crucify anyone. Sometimes we miss this. It wasn't common criminals or thieves that were put on crosses. This is one of my biggest pet peeves about sometimes when people have translated the two thieves on the crosses next to Jesus, that is a bad translation. It actually says the two rebels because that's who Romans crucified. It took a lot of resources, a lot of time to have the soldiers stand around and do this. Mostly they would just kill you with a sword. No, it was worth putting the resources into crucifying someone who was a domestic terrorist, who was an insurrectionist. They would crucify people who murdered soldiers, people who riled up the crowds to threaten the peace. So that's why Jesus was there. Right, the religious leaders, they had their own reasons, but they colluded with the Romans in power to convince them that this Jesus movement, it's dangerous, it's threatening the peace. So even though it says that Pilate knew Jesus was an innocent person, well, it was worth it though. It's worth it to torture and kill this innocent person in order to protect the peace. You see, the cross, when you actually think about what it is, it is an example of the worst that humanity has to offer. It is the most evil and vile things that human beings can do to one another. That's why it is important not to put that on God. God didn't kill Jesus on a cross. God is on the cross. We put Jesus there. So God doesn't endorse this violence of the cross. God takes it and defeats its power. He says, even this, the most evil thing you can do, even that will not win in the end. There is something that the gospel writers are very clear about Jesus and the cross, that he went there willingly, and he went there knowing exactly what he was doing, exactly what he was getting himself into. So this was an intentional sacrifice to show us that even in the darkest places of evil, where there is no hope left, even there, God's love follows us and leads us into new life. So the cross absolutely matters. It is central to our faith. It's just not about God's wrath. It's about God's love in the face of our wrath. See, Jesus could have done the human thing and called down some armies of angels to come and slaughter his enemies, but he didn't. God rejects this need for punishment. I love how Nadia Boltz Weber tries to make sense out of the cross. She says that the cross is God's way of saying, I would rather die than be in the sin accounting business. I would rather die than play that game of trying to account for sins. Now, to me, that's the great irony of how so often people talk about the cross. Because as you all know, people talk about penal substitutionary atonement. Right? Right? Yep, we got two yeps. Very good. So you may not have heard penal substitutionary atonement theory, but I guarantee you, you have heard what it is. This is the most common theory of what the atonement is. And this theory says that someone needed to be punished, penalized, and so God sent Jesus as a substitute for our punishment, so penal substitutionary. And that's what makes us one with God, penal substitutionary atonement. Make sense now? 
Yeah, we just have to like have big fancy words for stuff. That's what you do when you go to school. So penal substitutionary atonement theory. In this theory, there's this sense of cosmic justice that God has to abide by. Like God is unable to just forgive us because that wouldn't be a just God. And so God demands to have someone pay. There has to be punishment. There has to be blood. And so since God needs that blood, he sent Jesus, his son, to die and take the punishment, to take our bail, and now we're good. Dallas Willard calls this view the gospel of sin management. Because that's what it's all about, just finding some logical way to manage our sins. Now here's... I want to stop here for a minute because this is the most challenging part for some people. Because I know that this is what some people have heard their entire lives, and you may continue to believe this is the logic, this is how it works, no matter what you hear. And that's actually okay. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Nadia Boltz Weber and Dallas Willard and all those people, maybe we're off, and that is how the logic works. But for me, it was an absolute game changer to start to hear some perspectives that were different from that. To hear that that is not the only way to understand what Jesus' death and life and resurrection means. I shared this video on our social media page this past week because I found this quote that I love from Nadia, or not Nadia Boltzweber, from Rachel Held Evans. Uh, and I, so I wanted to share it. And I found this quote because a lot of Christians, when they're asked for their elevator pitch, they'll say, here's the one line. Here's the good news. Jesus came to die for your sins. That's it, right? That's the good news. And that's not something that I really say. It's not that I don't believe it. I actually do. If someone asked me, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? I would say yes, but it's more complicated than that. See, I don't usually use that language because that, to me, is a small part of the story. And the good news of Jesus is so much bigger and so much better than just some person who died for your sins. So here's how I want to end with this quote from Rachel Held Evans' book, Inspired. Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live, to teach, to heal, to tell stories, to protest, to turn over tables, to touch people who weren't supposed to be touched, and eat with people who weren't supposed to be eaten with, to break bread, to pour wine, to wash feet, to face temptation, to tick off the authorities, to fulfill scripture, to forgive, to announce the start of a brand new kingdom, to show us what that kingdom is like, to show us what God is like, to love his enemies to the point of death at their hands and to beat death by rising from the grave. Jesus did not simply die to save us from our sins. Jesus lived to save us from our sins. His life and teaching show us the way to liberation. But you can't fit all that on a bumper sticker. Amen. Amen.